fake, fake, fakety fake. Hi, I'm Jody. I'm Caitlin. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News, and then regurgitate the foul tidbits of information I have yet to digest all over my friend Caitlin. Great. <laughs> this episode, we will be covering the week of September 16th. How are you, Caitlin? I am okay. Yeah. Not too bad. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, Canada's having a good time this week. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't been able to escape the words brown face or black face for yes. the last week. So, Especially yeah. the last few days. And uh, we're going to get to that. First thing I want to get to, though, is that uh, I had to do a lot of uh, last minute figuring out of this podcast because... Apparently, Rebel News has gone through a rebranding. Yeah. So they were Rebel Media. They are now copying us. They are now copying <laughs> us. They are Rebel News, which is weird. They must be listening. Hello, Ezra. <laughs> uh, and so because of that, and I, I don't know why, but their podcast was not uploading to any podcast app. And then I was like, oh, no, I'm going to have like only one episode to cover this week. But then last night at the last minute, all the So we have episodes, two episodes. Oh, no. Two. no. Oh. All the episodes showed up uh, last night on their feed. And so I got to listen to it all. And actually, it was it, you're going to find out. They, they didn't say a lot this week except for last night's episode, which was clearly on the yeah. blackface issue. Uh, so we're going to get to all of that. But before we get to that, I got a few other things to say, which is we are now on Google and iTunes. So if any of you use any podcast related app for either iTunes or Google, you can find us on that. And also, I am currently looking for work. But if you want to donate to us, I would super appreciate it. Uh, it's nice having money. I thought that was going to go if you'd like to donate work to me, like that's what I'm going to <laughs> Donate your jobs. Yeah. So long as I like them, I will come. Uh, yeah. A lot of you uh, are probably in similar situations as me and can't afford it. But if you have some, a couple bucks hanging around each month, feel free to donate. And just it a makes dollar. just a dollar. Well, just a dollar. Come on guys. <laughs> it makes doing this a lot easier, you know, I'm torturing myself, listening to the rebel. It would be nice if I had some compensation for that. But we appreciate your uh, listening anyways. So so we're going to jump right into it, into the Imperial Roundup. Again, we'll, we'll eventually come up with some musical interlude, but for now you just have to suffer through it. We're actually going to start with September 13th, which was Friday of last week, because since our uh, new recording schedule, the Friday episode gets chopped off. And I was expecting the Friday episode to be a, a throwaway, but instead Ezra flew all the way to the UK to be with Tommy Robinson. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Tommy Robinson just got out of prison. It's really good because, you know, it's Friday the 13th. Oh, creepy things happen. Well, the creepy thing on Twitter was he spent his whole day, like, fawning over Tommy. So, like... That's creepy. Yeah. They, <laughs> they, he took him to a barber shop because, like, he had a beard coming out of prison and then, like, he did one of those, like, when a soldier comes home from the war and, yeah, like, the kids, surprises the yeah. kids. And it's, like, it's not as, like, emotionally compelling when this guy is a four-time convicted felon. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so he's he's out of prison. And I, I'm not going to go into too much detail about 
uh, all of Tommy's past. There was a recent episode of a podcast called Behind the Bastards, and they basically covered a lot of Tommy's past. And since we probably have a lot of overlap with their audience, you can just go and listen to that for his backstory. But I will catch people up on why Tommy is currently in prison, or actually why he's now out of prison, and also how he fits in with the whole rebel picture. I also want to say, too, it was interesting because last week he interviewed uh, Gavin McGinnis, and then, or two weeks ago, he interviewed Gavin McGinnis, and now he interviewed Tommy Robinson. And it reminds me of the Blues Brothers film, where one of the Blues Brothers gets out of prison, and then they spend the whole episode getting the band back together. So it feels like... uh, Ezra oh, okay. misses all his children <laughs> that have gone off, either gone off to earn more money and then lose it, or have gone to prison and is now like, we're getting the band back together. <laughs> so, Jake, you're out, you're free, you're rehabilitated. What's next? What's happening? What you gonna do? You got the money you owe us, motherfucker? Look, let's just get something straight here. The reason he got locked in the slam in the first place was for sticking up a gas station to cover you guys. You're kidding. He pulled that job to pay for the band's room service tab from that Kiwanis gig in Falls City. You did? That's right. So I don't want to hear any more of this small change shit. We're putting the band back together. We actually mentioned this, I think, last episode, which is that Tommy Robinson used to be one of the Rebels correspondents. And along with another correspondent named Laura Loomer, they received money from a man named Robert Shillman. Schulman is someone we like briefly touched on last episode, but I'll catch everyone up and add some more details, which is that Schulman is the founder of Cognex, Cognex Corporation, and they build like machine vision systems. Schulman has also engaged in a lot of philip- philanthropic behavior, like sitting on the boards of the Friends of Israel Defense Force, uh. the Jewish Foundation of the Righteous, uh. and the David Horowitz Freedom Center. Mm. He also has donated money to Project Veritas. Do you know what Project Veritas is? Yeah, they're these people who basically go undercover and then record people and then severely edit the footage to make them look bad. Fun. They destroyed Acorn in the United States, for example. Basically, taking. I think that what was one of the other videos was they caught some people. I think from Planet Parenthood speaking a certain way about abortions, but and they made it sound like they were chopping up baby parts and selling them. Yeah, they're, they're really fun. So, <laughs> given, given uh, uh, Shulman's support for Israel and his, uh, he's huge into anti-Islam stuff, uh, he had an affinity with Tommy Robinson, whose main shtick is being anti-Islam in the UK. And Wait, isn't that uh, Tommy Robinson, he's written books or no? He's written one book. I think it was an autobiography. Oh, okay. I don't know if he's written much more, but he basically, I mean, he was more mostly known as being like a soccer hooligan. And then he got involved. He created, I think, the English Defense League. And then he ended up leaving that because he thought that they became too neo-Nazi. And he did one of those like apology tours. A bit, like, Islam's still bad, but I'm not as bad as these guys kind of thing. But mm. he is still kind of that bad. He's also supported by the British National Party, even though he denies affiliation with that as well and they're like definitely neo-nazis uh but as i said if you want to go learn more about tommy robinson there's a great behind the bastards because there's so much about tommy robinson that's that's the issue i could spend the whole episode just on that but here's what i want to know that's like really funny about the shillman thing 
is that uh, Tommy Robinson and Laura Loomer were listed on the Rebels website as Shillman Fellows. And I thought it was ironic that the people who all think Antifa are paid shills of Soros are receiving their money from a millionaire named Shill Man and provided right-wing propagandist with Shill Man fellowships. Just thought that was a little ironic. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with a clip. It's, it's basically Ezra explaining why Tommy is in prison. And then we're going to explain why basically everything he says is wrong. Tommy was not convicted of a crime to put him in this place amongst the murderers and the terrorists. He was found in civil contempt of court, a much lower standard and not a crime at all, actually. So then why is he in jail? <laughs> Wait. <laughs> so if he didn't commit a crime. Yep. So he just went to jail because he's not a criminal? That, well, yeah, you might think that if Tommy didn't commit a crime, he probably shouldn't be in prison. I mean, usually that's why people go to prison, because they commit crimes. But... Right. So, I mean, the distinction he's trying to make, uh, it actually took me a ridiculous amount of time to try to figure this out, because it has like nuances in UK law, and I am not a UK law scholar, so if I get okay. any of this wrong, uh, feel free to correct me. But I guess there's a distinction between civil and criminal court proceedings. Doesn't mean you didn't commit a crime. Right. Doesn't mean you committed a, a crime. Or it doesn't mean so that like, you're not liable. So in Canada, no, I, I get this. There's like similar things in Canada. Like you can co commit a quasi-criminal offense. And sometimes you might serve jail time. Sometimes you might just serve an extremely heavy fine and have it on your record. Right. right? Uh, sometimes you might have to do community service. Right. A misdemeanor. But it really depends on your past convictions. Like if you have a criminal background, uh, how, what the severity of that's going Like you're not going to go to jail if it's like a one-time thing, right? For your first time committing this quasi-criminal offense. Well, you might in the case of uh, contempt in the UK. In the interest, so he's in jail for contempt of court. And the, as far as I'm aware, even if you commit civil contempt of court, if you're found liable civilly, you still can spend up to two years in jail. So it's yeah, <laughs> even the civil well, thing will, will likely But that's like a quasi-criminal. So for example, uh, racing on the road, that's a technically if you go above 50 kilometers per hour over the speed limit, is a quasi-criminal offense in Canada to which you can serve up to one year of jail time. And depending how much of a dick that judge wants to be, they can technically sentence you up to one year of jail. But does that happen often? I haven't heard of anything of that happening, but I have heard of people like losing their license for multiple years, uh, getting their car impound, um, having extremely hefty fines, sometimes up to 10 grand. So I, I don't know, but it sounds like this guy had past criminal offenses. And so a judge would sentence not, them yeah. a lot harsher than someone who this is well, a first time Well, from reading the thing, I'm not sure how much his past criminal offenses uh, played, a played a factor in this. But the other thing sure. is, reading the court documents, it doesn't seem like any of them made a distinction between civil and criminal. It's only Ezra bringing it up. And that's why like it was so hard to like figure this out. So I was like, you know, control-effing UK legal documents of this court case just to find out. And as far as I'm aware... He was going through criminal uh, legal proceedings through the courts, and therefore it's not a civil matter, it's a criminal matter. Uh, so he committed a crime? Yes. Okay. And, and I'll 
get into the details of that in a second. We're going to hear Ezra's explanation of what the crime was, but it's just interesting. So it's like civil is, is you still commit. I mean, there's part of it is an equivocation, right? So maybe it's, it's civil. It's not criminal. Therefore it's not a crime, but that doesn't mean that you're not a criminal. You're not in jail <laughs> for doing there's it. Any right? lawyers listening, please correct us if we're yeah. wrong. Yeah. But, uh, but then there's the other fact that I'm pretty sure that it wasn't a civil hearing anyways. It was a criminal one. And in that case, Ezra So he's wrong. just lying. Right. Yeah. I know you'll find this hard to believe, but he was found in contempt for merely standing outside the courthouse of a mass rape gang trial in Leeds uh, a year and a half ago and simply asking the rape suspects as they walked into court on Judgment Day, asking them, quote... How do you feel about your trial today? How do you feel about your case today? He asked them this about three or four different uh, suspects as they came in. There was 29 people on trial that day. All of them were convicted. The trial was over. The jury was rendering his verdict. Tommy didn't swear at them. He didn't block them. He didn't threaten them. He simply asked them, how do you feel about your trial today? And for that, I was there at the Old Bailey prison. Uh, Dame Vera Scott, the uh, head of the Queen's Bench here in the UK, shockingly, laughingly, absurdly declared that to be contempt of court because it impeded and prejudiced the trial. I'm not sure how that's possible, given that the trial was over and he did not impede anyone. This is Ezra's framing. He merely showed up at this trial and was asking the defendants how they feel about their upcoming trial. And Ezra's framing this as the case was already done. They've rendered the verdict. It was over. In reality, this is this is what happened. Tommy did a live stream on his Facebook channel of the people going to court. Okay. When there was a publication ban in place. Okay. So when there's a publication ban in place, you're not supposed to film these people. Not only did he film them, he gave off their names and broadcasted it to the 200,000 people that were listening to his live stream. Uh, he also I think it's scarier that there's 200,000 people listening yeah. to his live stream. Well, I don't know if they were listening all at once or yeah. just by the time they got the video down, 200,000 people had watched it. Still frightening. Yep. Uh, so he gave out their names. He also admitted that he knew there was a publication ban in place. He then uh, also uh, said a lot about their ethnicity, which became a factor in the case because it was given that the publication ban was in place not to prejudice uh, ongoing trials. You're not like saying, oh, these Muslims, they're evil, blah, blah, blah. You're going to prejudice a potential jury who might stumble upon this video, right? Yeah. And so then the other framing of this was that the trial was over. The issue during the court was not about the trial for which Tommy was present making this Facebook Live video. It was the fact that uh, there's more trials that were coming up that were connected in some ways to this trial. And so by going there, you could prejudice these future cases. And that's what they found him guilty of. Not not like upsetting or interrupting this case. Although I have to say, it gets kind of worse because two of the people in this what, quote unquote rape gang, they were found guilty of being uh, sexual predators. They were found guilty of this, but two of them uh, tried to get motions to dismiss the case because of what Tommy did and they actually had to hear it and if they are in fact guilty it's a good thing that they were unsuccessful in those things but Tommy being someone who's a who 
in his head is thinking, I'm against these Muslim rape gangs. Yeah. Almost did them a favor by getting them off the hook. And then there's no mu- not much else to talk about with the rest of the episode in in that uh, the rest of, when it gets to the actual interview piece, it's just Ezra and Tommy uh, pontificating of like, how's jail? What did you do? <laughs> and just like, I don't really care about any of this. And like a lot of poor us were victims. They're constantly coming the after us against us. Yeah. But one thing they do before they move into this is Ezra plays a clip by a guy named uh, Majid Nawaz. He uh, created this foundation called Quilliam, which is supposed to be like a, an anti-extremist organization in the UK. And there's some work that they have done in the past, which I can, I mean, I, I at least had the impression that it was good. But he also has sort of like gone through this grift of what uh, is called the intellectual dark web. He co-wrote a book with Sam Harris. Uh, he's really against political correctness. And he feels that like a lot of people jump on him because he's too critical of like Muslims, even though he himself is a Muslim. So the SPLC, the Southern Poverty Law Center, put Majid Nawaz on a list of uh, anti-Muslim extremists. And a lot of people got mad at the SPLC. Even me at the time, I got mad at the SPLC because it's weird uh, calling a Muslim an anti-Muslim extremist. That and the things that the SPLC like used was that he attended like uh, a strip club and stuff like this, which is like so ridiculous. So like a lot of people were on Majin Nawaz's side, but now he's pretty much used by people like Ezra, by people who have an anti-Muslim bias like Sam Harris. Yeah. To push this line of like Muslims are bad and they're coming into this country and like hurting people. And so he and his organization, Quilliam, released this report. And Majid is going to talk about the report, and then we're going to discuss why the report isn't all that it's uh, claimed to be. Why are we still, despite the years of evidence mounting up on this issue, why are we still so uncomfortable talking about this issue and accepting the fact that there is a hugely disproportionate number of British South Asian Muslim men involved in what can only be described described as a despicable crime? The fact is that since 2011, these sorts of crimes have occurred in cities up and down the country. They are spreading. They have occurred in Rochdale, Rotherham, Oxford, Telford, Leeds, Birmingham, Norwich, Burnley, High Wycombe, Leicester, Dewsbury, Middlesbrough, Peterborough, Bristol, Halifax and Newcastle. And in only two of those cases I've just listed from all of those cities were the men not of British South Asian Muslim heritage. All of the victims in all of those cities that I just listed, the list was very long. All of the victims except three were white uh, teenage girls. And so the fact that this pattern, that the fact that 84% of these cases involve British South Asian Muslim men must uh, beg the question, why? Future Jody here. I realized when editing the episode that my description of why Majid was wrong was not as clear as it could have been. And then I was slow to realize that Caitlin was confused, reasonably so, after hearing my bad description of the Quilliam report. This actually derailed us for a while, and we started philosophically analyzing the nature of concepts, which is really cool, albeit off-topic, but I'm sick, and was not in the right headspace to have that conversation in the first place. However, 
Getting back to the topic at hand, the gist of why Majid is wrong revolves around the claim that 84% of rape gang members are South Asian Muslim men. This claim was put forth in a report produced by Quilliam. The problem with this number is that rape gangs is not a technical term. What the writers of the report did was look at data, though it is not clear what their source of the data is, of childhood sexual exploitation in the UK, and out of all the CSE data, they designated certain cases as rape gangs. They then concluded that 84% of this new category they created were South Asian Muslim men. The problem is their selection criteria was vague. In other words, why were some CSE perpetrators considered to be affiliated with rape gangs, and why were other CSE perpetrators excluded from such a category? It also wasn't clear how they determined the ethnicity of the offenders. Without knowing how they did this, there is no reason to think that the writers of the Quilliam Report were not biased towards finding Muslim men to be more indicative of rape gangs, especially when you consider that the majority of CSEs are committed by white males. It is also important to highlight that two blog writers, Jay Spooner and Jay Stubbs, in their post titled Grooming Gangs, Quilliam and the Myth of the 84%, found and documented 126 cases of white perpetrators that matched the description of rape gang, at least insofar as they understood Quilliam's vague description of what constitutes inclusion into that category, but somehow these were not included in the report. Most of the criticisms of the Quilliam report came from sociologists and other scientists, but Majid responded to them by saying, in a tweet, quote, Vicious white regressive left socialists will never accept people of color breaking away from their script. Their Orientalism stinks. Close quote. Which is ironic, coming from Majid, who consistently complains about identity politics and political correctness. For people like Majid, including Sam Harris and Ezra, identity politics are only acceptable when used to dismiss legitimate criticisms against their work. After all, Quilliam has never responded to these criticisms by providing what data they used and how they determined who fit the category of rape gang. Demanding that Quilliam show their work is not racism, not Orientalism, and not some sort of socialist left-wing bias. And it also doesn't mean that by demanding this information, researchers or left-wing activists are denying the severity of these cases. CSE cases are terrifying, but it is even worse when you try to create a new category that is then used by right-wing bigots like Tommy Robbins and Ezra Levant to exploit people's outrage over the horrors of sexual exploitation of children and then channel it into the fear and hatred of a particular ethnic group, especially when you don't provide enough evidence or context to support that conclusion. Anyway, sorry to Caitlin for cutting all this out. I'm going to take more drugs and get back to editing the rest of the show. On September 16th, he begins the show by discussing Justina McCaffrey, a conservative candidate who was, or possibly still is, friends with Faith Goldie. Oh, yeah. Uh, this became a news item this week as... All over Twitter. Yeah. As, I guess, like, videos popped up of McCaffrey and Goldie pitching some sort of... I was about to say, my favorite video so far is I'm <laughs> trying to pitch a reality TV show. And I don't really actually know what so the reality... like a wedding dress show? It had something to do with wedding dresses. I have no idea what it was actually about because <laughs> it was just such a horrible pitch. It was just basically like they're saying, me and my friend Faith, we're cool. 
We're like... We like to drink and hang out. Yeah, we're socialites. We're icons in our neighborhood, may I dare say. Like, they're... Yeah. I don't know. So they go on about how they're, like, really great and this is going to be a great reality TV show. And then they get into something about brides and I'm not sure where it kind of went off. Um, but yeah, it was it odd. Had, it was some sort of like wedding dress show <laughs> yeah. from, from what I gathered. But interestingly enough, and I had mentioned this on previous episodes that I didn't think that he would actually talk about faith on a show other than when uh, Gavin brought it up. But here he, he goes into faith a bit. So let's have a listen. It goes on like that. Um, of course, Faith went on to work at... I'll just say, he just finished playing the clip that we were just talking about, of the, the two people, Faith and Justina, bragging about their show. Sun News Network, so she didn't do this uh, YouTube show. There is literally nothing in that clip about politics. Just showing the two of them, they were friends back then, and, and that's the liberal attack on the conservative candidate in 2019, that they were friends six years ago. It's pretty laughable, but you see, you're thinking like a normal person. I mean, I have my beefs with Faith Goldie too. As you may recall, I fired her in 2017 for going on an unacceptable podcast run by a neo-Nazi website. I fired her that moment. I had no idea she had done it. I was actually kind of surprised by that because I was thinking he wouldn't even bring up the fact that it was a neo-Nazi podcast. He's Jewish. He is Jewish. And so good for him for, for pointing that out. But again, the context is, it's, it's weird here because you he's go, he's Jewish. He's a hypocrite, that's why. <laughs> no, but he... Because he does that to other groups and doesn't realize how fucking horrible he is as a human. But not only that, he's claiming like, oh, this was in the past. There's, there's stuff that's come out that shows that Justina and her have been hanging out since Charlottesville. Which means that it would have been after the fact that yeah. Ezra let her go and it was because she was on a neo-Nazi podcast. Uh... So it's weird that like he can, in one instance, realize that she was this terrible person. I had to kick her off my show, but then also try to like, I don't he know, wants stand to up and defend. No, the, he the wants to salvage the conservative party. That's what he's trying to do. It has nothing to do with faith as a person. Right. Yeah. So there's this funny clip that went around of a CBC protester, uh, asking Justina McCaffrey some questions as she kind of like gets in her car and drives away. And he criticizes this, but it's the thing that's like funny about this is he criticizes it being like, Oh, look at the CBC trying to like chase her down and do this. They thing. do that all the time. It's like, that's your, that's your whole freaking career. Last week, he just did a whole demo reel of look at all the times we ambushed people on the streets and harassed them. Uh, oh, it's, it's a lack of self-awareness. Or purposeful lack of self-awareness. He then criticizes the media for how they covered Shear's comments about accepting apologizers and accepting people who own up to their past mistakes. And it's a wonderful clip now in context with what happened later on in the week. But he plays the Shear clip, and I'm going to play it now because it's going to be relevant. Uh, look, as long as someone takes responsibility for what they say and, uh, and, 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 and addresses the fact that uh, in 2019, some things that may have been said in the past uh, are inappropriate today, uh, that uh, if anything that they've ever said in the past caused any type of uh, hurt or... It's kind of funny when he uh, related gay people to a dog's tail and refuses to apologize about it. And even after this, still hasn't apologized. No. 
uh, one community or another uh, and have apologized for that, uh, I accept that. You know, I accept the fact that people can make mistakes in the past and uh, can own up to that and accept that. So he claims uh, this is being handled differently for each party, that only the conservatives have to own up to all this stuff and no one else does. And the interesting thing is you just brought up is he still hasn't taken responsibility for that one clip. Not at all. And that's possibly because he realizes taking responsibility for that one thing he said is actually going to hurt his chances for his homophobic face that he's campaigning on. Not to say that he's going to get into power and uh, change marriage laws. No, he said he wouldn't reopen that discussion. Stephen Harper also didn't reopen it, and he had more, probably more leeway to get away with something like that. He didn't do it. So it's just more the fact of he holds these views and doesn't feel the need to apologize for now, the end of this show is he then has Andrew Lawton on, and we discussed him as well. He's He was a uh, progressive conservative candidate in the Ontario election in our riding. Or no, the riding next to our riding. Same There's city. two next to us. The ones... We're south? in the center. <laughs> There's east and west, Jody. We're center. South to center. me. South to me. Uh, so west or right? <laughs> I don't know which one. Uh, west. Yeah, so, yeah. Because it wasn't Fanshawe. It was the... uh, It's only West, yeah. yeah. And they basically spend the whole time bragging about the fact that uh, Ezra got a column in the Globe and Mail. No. And this is really frustrating to me that he was even given this opportunity. Like, this whole week was just a friggin' mess (laughs) with all of this because there's some reporting coming out now, too, that the... The head of Globe and Mail basically forced this through at the opposition of some of the editors that work on the Globe that didn't want to do it. Uh, we're going to get to it in a second, but uh, the union reps of the, of the workers were upset that this happened. Hmm. And basically, Ezra used the space in the Globe to complain about uh, basically them not being allowed at media events. So he brings up the whole... Uh, we had to ask Mike Pompeo to let us into that media event, right? So it's like this whole like victim narrative, like, woe is us, the media won't let us in. And it's happening in the pages of a, one of the biggest newspapers in Canada. The media so party <laughs> is out to get him. Which is like, it, again, like that's what the, his whole campaign is against the media party. And yet he's gleeful for the fact that the media party let him in. And this is the thing that frustrates me about this whole narrative and why you shouldn't let people like this in because he really wants to be taken seriously it's a victory for him when he gets taken seriously and the reason why he hates the media so much is they don't let him in they're not his friend they treat him like scum because he is scum and as as soon as you let him in you're validating him and you you get he gets to puff up his chest and be like oh look at me i got in i'm so good and they love me and that just gives him a victory when you don't need to give him a victory it was better, like, remember how he was talking, like, just in the, in the past few episodes. is like, we had to sneak in because they won't let us. And we got to do this, like, grassroots journalism because they're not... They had David Menzies sitting in a field because he couldn't get into... Like, remember that? <laughs> yeah. They did this whole press thing about, like, David Menzies not being allowed into the thing. And so they had him stand in a field. It's like, that to me is much better. Like, let them be the people who have to stand in a field and cry all the time about not being let in. Don't give them space in like one of the nation's biggest newspapers. 
they end the interview by discussing Bernier, which is another terrible uh, news uh, item that happened this week, uh, which is that Bernier is now allowed into the federal debates. And so mm -hmm. I'll play the clip and then we'll discuss it. Now, I want to tell you what I think the biggest media story of the day is, and that is by whatever means, and I don't quite know how, Maxime Bernier has in fact been accepted into the next all-party leaders debate. Now, I think it was a scandal that he was kept out by Justin Trudeau's hand-picked debates commissioner, David Johnston. I want to pause there. I mean, they don't go back to address this really, but they refer to this guy as being like hand-picked by Justin Trudeau. And then the guy went and did something that he likes. And it's just like, it's, it's always like this idea of like, there's this media party. There, everyone is like deferential to the liberals. The liberals control all this stuff. They're manipulating all the strings. And yet something like this happens, which is a key indication that like this person isn't being like pulled by any strings. Yeah. He was appointed to like an independent body and can yeah. make choices on his own. And I think he made a really stupid choice, but we'll get to that in a second. But through ever whatever means, he's back in there. And here's the thing. I think that statistically speaking, it is impossible for Maxime Bernier to win this next election. I just do not Sorry, think that that is, I think that's yep. a one in a thousand chance if that. I think he may win his own seat. I don't even know where a second seat to punch through would be. I could be wrong. <clears throat> but the great value, in my view, Andrew, and I like your reaction to this, of having him in those debates is that he is the only one of the party leaders who will bring the populist point of view on issues like global warming, political correctness, and open borders immigration to light. Even Andrew Scheer steers clear of those for fear of the media party. So media I don't know how many votes Maxime Bernier would peel off of the conservatives or whatever. That's the concern on the right. But having him there to talk about those issues, I think, is cracking open the conversation in a wonderful way. Now, he frames it in a weird way, saying that it could possibly take votes away from the conservatives. My concern is more that he would make Scheer look better in relation to him and actually help the conservatives? No, but he could come and like look like a fucking asshole and then Shear would be like, I don't associate with that and then all that fan base that would vote for conservatives because they're bigoted, um, xenophobic, Islamophobic groups might split the vote and vote for him. Now I will say yours has at least your version has more data points in that that's kind of what happened in the United States. Well, didn't you say that also happened in Alberta? No, well... They had a, what was that, the Wild Rose Party or something like that. But Alberta is, a different, is different than the rest Alberta of Canada. Alberta is a scary place. Yes. <laughs> you are correct. However, a lot of Alberta, like Alberta is part of that. Saskatchewan's a part of that. And that's that culture. They have a huge following for that kind of stuff. So yeah. then you lose a lot votes there but there also is this like vague this weird kind of politeness that pervades canadian culture and i don't think it's like actual politeness but it's this i don't know it's a, a, i find a lot of people don't like confrontation in canada so there might be an extent to which some people see bernier's aggressiveness as too aggressive but i don't know it might be that i'm giving I don't even know if it's the benefit of doubt because I still think they're they're just quietly bigoted as opposed to like going out and and. Uh... I can see a lot of people who probably don't identify as being 
very right-leaning and then come in here bernier be like we need to stop all this mass immigration happening uh we have to stop letting so many people yeah yeah (laughs) into the country and giving them resources and i know a lot of people who vote conservative because they think conservatives will do that and they don't see themselves as these like far-right people yeah and so mm, no you you get you mm, you might have sold me (laughs) yeah (laughs) because i'm thinking too like there's a lot of people, a lot of people, even in the polls that we looked at in our first episode, that don't like immigration. Yeah. And if he's going to be the only one on that stage there's promoting an anti-immigration policy. Tons of people that yeah. don't like, yeah. There's a ton of people, like, I, this is not what Bernier, maybe he does, I don't know. I know Sheer would probably be more related to this subject. There's a lot of people, for example, who hate gay pride. Like, they just absolutely hate it. They hate the concept of it. They don't want it happening. They're like, it's fine if they get married. They're flaunting it too much. Yeah, but why does it have to be about sex? I'm like, it's about sexuality. But anyways, um, and so they want more conservative values. And so when they hear someone talking like that, they're like, well, yeah, I don't want people showing it off right in front of me or kids seeing that or sex being practiced. Like, I know so many people who voted for conservatives just because of the sex ed curriculum in certain areas in uh, North York, Etobicoke area. Um, this is the weird thing about that too. But they don't, con- they don't identify as conservatives. They just don't like the sex part of it. And so they will vote for a bigoted asshole who well, probably is, doesn't like gays. This is also the weird point about thinking about immigrant communities as a single voting block too, because there was a lot oh, of Muslim, so diversity uh, right. There was a lot of uh, Muslim groups that, supported Doug Ford because of the sex ed curriculum. curriculum. Uh, So anyways, the other thing I want to highlight there, the thing that really annoys me is that why did David Johnson let him into the debate? Because there's like three criteria you had to make and you had to, I think, uh, fill out at least two of them. And like the the thing is he doesn't fill out the... uh, the one which is like he doesn't currently have any MPs. And the other one that he doesn't fill, which is the one he pushed uh, David Johnson to like let him in, was this idea that whether whether or not they had the potential to win a seat. And the evidence isn't even clear that Bernier is going to win a seat. At least it's not clear. And that's pretty much the only seat that they have the potential to win. And according to the the criteria you needed to like look like you're going to win at least two seats. So if you only have the one, that's not at least two. No, you're right. And so they pushed a few more seats that were like slightly better than others, but it's still, it's like at the end of the day, you're pulling at 2% nationally. Like there's no chance you're going to win at all. And the only chance that you might win something is one seat close to is pretty far behind. So why are you being being let in? Why? And then it's like you have criteria there for a purpose because you can't just let everyone on the debate stage. Like imagine the debates filled with the Rhino Party, the Communist Party. I mean, like part of me is like let them in. Well, but here's the thing: is if you're gonna have, if you're gonna make the criteria open, then all of them have to be exactly let them all in. But then if you're gonna say that like no, we want to have like the four people who are pulling or like the people who are pulling the highest and have a chance and let them debate, then stick to your guns and do that. Not just to open the floodgates and let just one 
one of the group of like really extreme parties in it, right? So I don't know why he did it. I don't know why he caved. Uh, and now we're going to have a bigot given a major platform in our country. But hey, like I said, it might split votes, so... Yeah, well, who knows what the hell's going to happen after what happened to our <laughs> Brown face. Hmm? Brown face? Yeah, we'll get to it. In it. <laughs> so, on September 17th, we're moving on. Next day, uh, Ezra spends an inordinate amount of time about a CBC reporter receiving fries from Trudeau. Like, the whole episode is just the like... Fries? Yep. Like received, McDonald's fries. Uh, no, I think it was a poutine. It might have been a poutine. Okay. But it was like, it was at some sort of, like, festival. And the reporter, I think his name is David Cochran, because he said his name, like, eight million times. He's for the CBC, and Trudeau turns around and hands him a plate of, uh, like, a, a basket of fries. And Trudeau jokingly says... The liberals always support the CBC. And the reporter took the fries and ate one of them and gave like a, a thanks kind of gesture. And everyone laughed. And Ezra finds this the most reprehensible thing that has ever happened. Now, this is the day before. <laughs> this Actually, this is the evening the brown face uh, thing leaked. So it's not on Ezra's radar yet. But this is just despicable like this clearly shows that the cbc is in bed with trudeau because he accepted a plate of fries and listen to ezra go into detail about it. he he he, re he put his cell phone over he, he rearranged it he took it and immediately ate it to seal the deal i'm a good immediately. boy i'm a good boy i'm a good boy i mean why not <laughs> <laughs> What's the difference oh, between taking so 1.5 billion tax dollars for the CBC or taking a $5 poutine? They're, they're both... I'm just... This next bit is kind of insane. And I just wanted to flag this so that the audience is prepared to hear this. Little bribes. They're both trinkets from the prince. Cochrane was just so lust, lustily into it. Like a virgin bride on his wedding night. What? <laughs> like, there's like, I, there's so much to just like, what the hell is going on here? I mean, like, there's a layer of misogyny. Virgin bride like, as on if, his wedding like, night? Yeah. That is like lustily, after, like, I don't know. And it's like creepy too, because he's, tr like, he's trying to demasculate this reporter as well. For taking a gift, his deference to the prince, like a lustful virgin, um, it's disgusting and he's creepy. Uh, but he just, this is like as close to an Alexi Jones kind of moment <laughs> for Ezra of like, we were speaking before we did the podcast where Alex, Ezra will never go on rants being like, the demons are here and they're talking to us and they're, they're from outer space and they're controlling us through mind rays. Ezra will never do that, but he will get really creepy and talk about like, oh yeah, they want to eat their potato chips and they're lusting like a virgin bride on her wedding night. And it's just creepy misogyny is what it is. But that was that was the whole show. Uh, oh, well, they ended on the fact that Trudeau hugged someone, which... Oh, the... Are you talking about like the Bianca? Yes, the tennis player that, that, that won a bunch of things. Yeah. And... They're mainly upset that he did a frontal hug such that her teenage breasts 
were pressed against him. Is she a teenager? She's 19, I think. Oh, okay. So there is a case uh, where Trudeau was accused of groping a reporter mm. back when he was 28, I think. So this was a year before he decided to wear brown face. Uh, and there's not there's not a lot to go on in the case. Basically, what happened from the evidence that's available is he was giving this interview and after it was done, the reporter had complained that he had groped her and he has since uh, come out and apologized for it, saying that he feels that uh, his intentions might have been misconstrued, but the other party isn't talking about what happened. Okay. She's basically like, the story is true, but I'm not going to go into details. And so you're left with that information. And it's not a good look for Trudeau. I, I had not heard this about Trudeau. Maybe that's just because I'm ignorant. And yeah. No, <laughs> I haven't heard this. Didn't yeah. come across the story. But uh, apparently it was reported a lot. I must have been busy uh, with other stuff when this was breaking. But what's happening in, in these few days is every time Trudeau is doing something, they keep bringing this up about it. He's a groper and he gropes people all the time. And they're using it in this case when he's hugging this person. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, this clearly wasn't a grope. And it like almost like devalues sexual assault cases to claim that any just because he was accused of groping once, and not to say that that was good, but that every time he touches somebody, even in the most innocuous way, that you're going to read into it every time that he's groping, that he's groping. Especially when, I mean, he backs Donald Trump, who's a serial... <laughs> sure. Okay, you know. but I do think that... I, I disagree, though. Just because... Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like I didn't know about him groping other. I just... But then, what do you what do you think? So, I mean, uh, to me, I would have disqualified him from everything a long time ago. Yeah. Like I think he's a shitty human being for doing that. No, I think he is a creepy guy. I think he. That's pretty. Actually, creepy. I don't think it's creepy. I think he's just actually like one of those misogynistic assholes i think he was a douche in high school and continued to be a douchebag in his 20s like i think people make him out to be like sinister and creepy and like deceiving or even when he was like talking about how he's like conniving to actually not build the pipelines and it's a whole trick like i don't think so i think he's literally a frat boy douchebag who's (laughs) not self-aware and wants to say talking points like he's a feminist or that he's you know for multiculturalism and rarely has people call no, him out on it because he was the prime he, minister's son yeah it's like your daddy was famous and you grew up with that and i don't know many guys that had like really rich daddies and came from really well-off families that were nice guys they were all douchebags growing up i went to a school that was very um in high school was very class divided and those guys that had a lot of money were horrible people Horrible to different groups of people, different walks of life. We had a program where there's people with disabilities, um, learning disabilities, and they used to make fun of them all the time. And it would be people like who had um, the CFO's, you know, son of some major company like Bombardier was in where we lived by. Um, Like it'd be examples like that. You would be going to high school with these people and they'd be horrible. And I think that's what Justin Trudeau reminds me of is this very douchey, you know, daddy's money got me all these places. I don't really see him as uh, someone that could even relate to the struggles of 
immigrants, uh, working class families, women at all. And so I do kind of share a sentiment with Ezra. Awkward. Yeah. In the sense of like, he is just this, not creepy. I don't like that word. I think there's this douchey, misogynistic asshole that really does need to go. I don't want to be on Ezra's side, you know? And it's like, the more Trudeau does shitty things, like, I'm going to have to... The problem is the hypocrisy of it. This is where we can bring this in so you don't feel so creepy about this, is the hypocrisy that Ezra uses because, you, like you said, he does support someone like Trump who exhibits more of those characteristics openly. I'm not saying that... Justin Trudeau isn't like that because to be honest, I can totally see him being like that douchebag guy that has locker room talk with guys about like girls that he slept with in the past. People who are actually getting into power, who are running the country, are people that have grown up with wealth and privilege and they're completely oblivious to the systematic inequalities that other groups face. And you can just tell Trudeau's very ignorant because an apology for some of his behaviors just isn't sufficient especially when he has multiple policies that disadvantage certain groups in society. The fact that he's done nothing for childcare shows that he doesn't give a shit about women. The fact that he's done nothing to solve uh, Grassy Narrows issue shows you that he doesn't give a shit about indigenous groups of people. The fact that he created, I think personally, absolutely horrible immigration policy for refugees because there's no logistic way of actually helping them um, get the proper care and need once they come to Canada. Right, he could do more to get rid of the safe third country agreement. Yeah, he could do a lot more. And I guess this is where I'm saying, like, I, I disagree in the sense, like, you shouldn't discount him. I do think you should discount him. And I don't think... It, and another thing that bothers me, too, is it's just a huge PR thing. Like, it's not actually a sincere hug. It's not... So Ezra can fuck off with that stuff because he doesn't give a shit. This is all for the camera. This is a PR move. I mean, I think that's what I'm reacting to, though, is that... And, it, and, and everything that you've said, I've agreed with. Yeah. It's more of like how to capture what Ezra is doing. Because here's the thing. What Trudeau was doing on that stage was a PR thing. Absolutely. And it was even a PR thing for Bianca mm-hmm. and a celebration of her achievements. Yeah. But when a woman is on stage with this guy and clearly is... I mean, I would say it was a consensual hug. It's hard. Like, I don't know. Like, no one was signing. It's a fucking hug. Anyway. Yeah, exactly. But the thing is, like, when you have Ezra combing over every inch of it, it almost feels like he's sexualizing her now. And he, Ezra becomes the creepy one for like, look at, look at this angle. And, and she's, she's really close to him. And you can see that he's like smiling at her in a certain way. And she feels like she has to like submit because he's this big person and it's like well i think this goes back to also sexualizing teenage bodies and young girls bodies from a young age like making them seem like they're these sexual objects so if men touch them or anything it does become the whole and and it gets misogynistic too because he talks about like what if this was your daughter i mean if it was my daughter i'd be grossed out and then it's like maybe don't control your daughters like that. Like, let them choose who they want to and not want yeah. to hug. This is uh. why we need sex ed in classrooms. <laughs> no, <laughs> Just to tie it yeah. back to everything. Yeah. Jesus. I mean, so here's the thing. that Like, the episode moves on where, like, he does more things I agree with, which is he calls out Trudeau's treatment of Grassy Narrow protesters. Uh, so that was, like, a famous clip that happened where these protesters ended up yeah. at one of Trudeau's event. And Trudeau, like laughs them off and goes thank you for the donation because it was a paid event that you had to get into yeah 
And it was very rude and insensitive, considering that these people uh, still have mercury in their water, which means they can't drink uh, fresh water from their area. They have to get it shipped in. And they also can't hunt and fish and do all the things that they used to do on their water because of our lack of mining regulations that allowed companies to dump mercury into their uh, waterways. And we have the ability to fix this, and Trudeau still isn't uh, helping, which is sad. And then he also points out one other thing that I agree uh, is culturally insensitive. It, it was amazing to me hearing this because the brown face had yet come out. And so this was just another event. And it like when you start piecing all these things together, you start getting a picture of Trudeau, of just this person who's definitely culturally insensitive. No, he, he is literally that guy that you go to high school with who's a misogynistic, racist asshole with daddy's money and yeah. does is so unaware of how horrible he is. And then when he gets in trouble, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I won't yeah. do that again. Right? Like... So to set up this clip, when Trudeau was an MP before he became uh, the leader of the party and then prime minister, he boxed a conservative MP for like some sort of charity event. And the conservative MP was an indigenous person. And basically, I guess he had bet him to like cut his hair. And then they what? get into why this was culturally insensitive in the clip. So here you go. You know, we're both known for our long hair on the hill. Uh, let's let's say the loser gets a haircut. Um, he resisted back a little bit, you know, pointing out that hair has a cultural significance for First Nations peoples. And I said, uh, I know that's why I proposed it. When a warrior cuts his hair, it's a sign of shame. So it's uh, it's very apropos. What? Yeah, I mean, it was shit talking, but it was like shit talking in a culturally insensitive way it was like yeah i know i'm gonna make you cut your hair because it means so much to you and it's a shame to do it so yeah and I it's funny in the ring yeah ha 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 it's funny uh gross yes gross this is our leader <laughs> oh, we'll, we'll find out if he continues to be our leader in a couple of weeks election is getting a little scary yeah yeah he then ends with an interview uh ezra does with sue ann levy who is a post-media writer, and nothing special happens. They just, like, rehash all the old material again. Like, oh my god, he took a french fry! And on the 18th, Ezra gets conspiratorial about Unifor. So apparently, uh, Unifor's uh, union got... Uh, union reps within the Globe and Mail got mad at the fact that they published his op-ed. And he basically thinks that uh, Unifor is, like controlling their like workers whatever good for them then <laughs> yeah. that's where i'm at if it's to get rid of him good for them like so the conspiracy end of it is him going well they tried to get my op-ed blocked that makes me think how many op-eds have they blocked oh my and are goodness. they manipulating things and who's paying who to what and it gets like really stupid and conspiratorial and it's like no they just don't like you because you're a racist he's a piece of shit yeah <laughs> He then has Sheila Gunn Reed on uh, and has her at the side of the road because she's proud to announce that they have a big Lebranos billboard. Yes, I've so, seen it. <laughs> so they're they're selling their books. So you got to put a big billboard sign in Alberta. Uh, and then he's like, oh, man, it's going to piss so many people off. I will say that this is actually the night that the uh, brownface story broke. Brownface and blackface. 
So, I mean, he says it's going to piss a lot of people off. Clearly, people were distracted. But yeah. at the same time, I don't think anyone would have been pissed off. In fact, not a single newspaper anywhere <laughs> covered this story. He was, he was like, oh, man, they're going to cover it. They're going to be so mad at us. Get more lawn signs. And that was that was pretty much it. Apparently, I didn't look into this, but their book is number two on Amazon Canada or something like that. What? Yeah. I don't know. That's terrifying. It is terrifying if true, but then I also don't know how frequently things go up. And it could be that you had everybody rushing one day get it, and like in another week, it's already going to drop off the list, right? And then he ends the show by again uh, yelling about CBC and poutine. It would have been so nice if they were just stuck in this position of just not being able to like get access to anything and only recovering, only being able to cover the fact that. A CBC journalist uh, took a fry. But then the 19th happened, which was, well, actually the evening of the 18th and then bled over to the 19th was these uh, pictures of Trudeau had leaked. Uh, they were released by Time Magazine and they, well, at least the, the ones about the Arabian Night event. So basically in 2001, when Trudeau was 29 and a teacher at this private school, they held an event uh, that was uh, theme was Arabian Nights mm -hmm. and he decided to dress as what he what Trudeau calls he said he dressed as Aladdin and then proceeded to paint himself what looked like a very dark shade of black yeah and as Trevor Noah pointed out on the Daily Show Aladdin's not even that dark yeah so what's going on man <laughs> but uh, so that happened and then while while he was uh, getting briefed on this, or like the press was interacting with him on the airplane as it broke that night, he confessed to the fact that when he was in high school, he did blackface instead of brownface and performed the song Deo yeah. in front of his high school at a event. And then since that, the morning of the 19th, a new video surfaced showing that he not only was in blackface, but was in complete body black. Yeah. Uh, you can even see because he was wearing cut off jean shorts and you can see through the jean shorts that even his like knees were painted uh, yeah. black. And no one knows the, the full context of this video. We do know that that video was given to the conservative party. And the Conservative Party gave the video immediately to Global News. Yeah. But no one yet knows like who got the, the story to give to Time Magazine. And the interesting thing is, not to get to, too conspiratorial, but why these images were not found years actually, prior to this. Many people have been asking about that because he's been our national leader for four years now before that he, he ran an election the party yeah, yeah. <laughs> like so i don't know why that didn't come out the first round um because he got into politics shortly no, after they probably found out about it a lot earlier and held on to it to release closer to the election date so it would be a big bomb being dropped on him and they waited to an opportune time to do that I mean, that's true, but that would have happened, should have happened within the past four years, right? Unless they thought no, he I think stood... they they 
did it on purpose. No, but what I'm saying is because if they had it when he first got elected, wouldn't they have dropped the bomb? No, I don't think they did have it. That's what I mean. So they would have, somebody would have gotten a hold of this information within the last four years as he was prime minister, waiting for the next election yeah, for the drop. That's exactly what probably happened. But then the then the issue is, how, like there was people at this school who had this yearbook that had these photos in it, and it still didn't come up to light somehow. Uh, well. Um... From what I heard is liberals don't really have a good vetting process for how they choose candidates for certain positions. So if you want to go vote for the leader of the Liberal Party, um, you actually have to send a delegate in your from your riding. So only delegates vote for who the leader is going to be. So it's not like you, like NDP, for example, it's like who they have online voting for the leader. And it's like anyone can vote if you or a member of the party but you just have to donate if you're a student like five dollars yeah. or i think twenty dollars if you're not a student so it's not that much if you want to vote for that leader conservatives i'm not sure um but liberals yeah like they make you send a delegate so it's not like i don't know you don't really have that much say in who's going to be but they that still leader. do a, a internal vetting process like that's, that's even how they weed out I mean, it's never perfect. I mean, that's why you had even the NDP had a candidate recently that they booted from the party because of things that surfaced, even though it's weird because they haven't released what it was that they booted him for and they're keeping that kind of hush hush. But even and, and you even have the liberal case where they just we talked about it on the show where a Guillet from mm-hmm. Quebec, who's the, the imam who was booted from the party because of the things that he said about this Palestinian activist who turned out to be very anti-Semitic and they kicked him from the party. And that, I mean, and Ezra uses, I, I didn't have this in my list of things to talk about, but this is actually something that Ezra brings up throughout, throughout the episode, which I think is he's right about, which is you didn't give this person the opportunity to apologize before you just booted him from the party. And now Trudeau thinks that he can just stand up there and apologize. He does apologize. all the time. He right. apologizes all the time. There's literally a YouTube video of just listening to Trudeau apologize for 10 minutes straight <laughs> at different events. So, and, and the thing about that, too, is, I mean, you want to talk about the vetting thing. It could possibly be that, at least for Trudeau, that they didn't even think that they need to vet him. Or not, not that they didn't think that they needed to, but that they wouldn't because of who he is. You know? Yeah, well, I was thinking, okay, so because you don't have stats, a good, yeah. you don't have a good system for voting in who's going to be your actual leader of your party, and then you have a name that's attached to it, right? So yeah. people don't, I don't think they cared, to be honest. I think it's, you got the name Trudeau attached to it, and that gave him a lot more clout, right? Because yeah. of his dad. So it could be that just somebody from the school leaked the stuff to times, and the only only reason or it could be someone you know maybe didn't mind they were like oh whatever but then as it went on he they were like i'm fucking sick of this guy and then the election came and they were like okay let's leak this right let's give this to someone so he can lose the election yeah so i i just wanted to highlight that because it's clear that what we know about ezra with him talking about epstein and all these other things that he's prone to some conspiratorial thinking so I would like to know who released it or what was the motivation so that we won't have to deal with Ezra constantly speculating. So here's mm-hmm. a clip of Ezra speculating. 
These had been in the public domain for years. Those yearbooks were personally seen by thousands of people, and they were able to be seen by anyone who showed an interest, and, and no one reported on them, though reporters obviously had them. Why hadn't they shown those pictures before? During Trudeau's first campaign for public office as an MP, during Trudeau's campaign for party leader, during Trudeau's campaign as party leader becoming prime minister, how did none of these photos come to light in any of those moments of supposed accountability? That's a question for the political war rooms of Stephen Harper and Andrew Scheer to answer, but more to the point, it's for the CBC and CTV and Global News and the Toronto Star and the rest of them to answer too, which I suppose answers the earlier question of why it took Time magazine in the United States to break the silence, because they're not bought off, not for $1.5 billion a year like the CBC is, not for $600 million like the newspaper companies are, not for the price of a $5 poutine like David Cochran. I guess this is it. He plays the poutine clip. I, I forgot that I, after all this poutine talk, just let him, let him fucking play the clip. <laughs> this is the clip of the poutine. It's for you, David. This is for you. No, 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 no. Hey, Liberal Party always supports the CBC. So, that's like the eighth billionth time I've seen this clip now because of this show. Ezra does have a point, though. There's a subtle point. But I do you really think that because of the media bailout money and because of Unifor, that if a journalist in the CBC or CTV or Global News wasn't given on their desk, boom, Trudeau and Blackface, that that wouldn't be the first thing that they report? Because yeah. it would make a name for them. Like, yeah. There's no reason to think that the money interests were so powerful that it would suppress a story that was that big. Yeah. I don't think. I, if, if, um, I don't know. Oh, maybe Caitlin's a bit more conspiratorial than I am. No, I just think that a lot of politics, though, and this is going to definitely sound conspiracy theorist. Go for it. Lay it on <laughs> us. A lot of politics, though, I think, it's a game, right? Like it's not, it's a strategic game and there's long run game as opposed to short run game. So anyone that would be looking at this brown face case and stuff could see that it's, it's a long term. Like there could have been things like last election. He just had such a better chance of winning compared to now that it would have been inappropriate to play it in the first election compared to the. But again, they didn't release it. Times did, which was like an American so, right so like my my thinking is no i think someone had it and they were holding on to it for a bit for and then got scooped as a by bargaining yeah, that's who they decide to send it to yeah yeah i don't know i don't know we don't know yet and uh maybe by the time this is out well be... i i just i just think <laughs> politics in general there's a lot of behind the scenes games that are being played there's negotiations that we're just not a part of and really understand that help pull the strings in the background. And so. Yeah, no, I see your point. I guess like my, where I'm coming from is that there's going to be a lot of people uh, that aren't just liberal lackeys working for the CBC and say, say if I worked at the CBC and that came upon my desk, even if my higher ups were trying to suppress that story from me, I would totally leak it. But I think I think the problem yeah. I think the problem is is we're looking at it as these parties or like these groups that are going against rather than politics as a whole is a separate entity from the rest of society. 
like it, it's almost like so you're saying it's like you know they're all against each other and it's like they love the liberals they favor the liberals but i think like politics in a way they all kind of work together in a way or they all try to screw each other over it's almost like a game of chess and they don't actually look at society and how society can be benefited like politics they don't really give a shit like yeah so you're saying like the the media doesn't give a shit about outcomes is that what you're saying no i don't i don't think so too much i think it's just reporters go whatever's working or whatever is going to create a, a new story and i'm also trying to say is like it's not a little liberal... that's to me like why they wouldn't sit on it because like that is totally a money maker like if, if they're being completely just a or like not caring about the political outcome of it but merely thinking because like here's what else would be motivating them it would be the financial incentive of actually publishing yeah but i don't think they had that piece i think some an individual had access to that knowledge no one knew about it in the media and they were using this as like a bargaining chip in the future for when they want to screw over liberals so that's what i'm saying i'm not saying that the media held on to this like picture but what i'm trying to say is in total politics is just a huge fucking game that doesn't actually really care about the society that we live in and the well-being of people and so it becomes like you know like there are these liberals there are these conservatives there's these but i think they're all the same thing at the end Caitlin of the day the cynic. <laughs> no they really are though like liberals and conservatives do the same bullshit it's a huge game that goes back and forth all the time there, there's uh, there's a part in which so I, I agree with you i, I don't, think, I don't it's, think funny. it's the whole story but no I no no i do think it's funny when ezra says like they're like these liberal lackeys and stuff but i'm like they're like just two wings on the same bird though to me they, they don't do anything really different. In fact, it's just, I think it's funny almost because right. the reality is that these people are just people that sit in power and just rotate in between each other and the rest of the society. That's why I was thinking of it more in terms of monetary because they are persuaded a lot by like eyes on the pages. They want to make sure that they have people reading their news and giving them money and stuff like that, right? And so it's like, it's a business decision in a lot of, these respects so like i'm either going to report on this or i'm not because it's either going to draw eyes to the page or it isn't and you're only going to want to publish the stuff that draws attention right? at certain moments you might time. get more attention or like I, yes I don't know. absolutely because if you published it something when he had such a huge majority of the vote or it was predicted that he was going to actually i don't think it was predicted that he was going to have a majority government it was predicted that he would lead but like Last election, I can't remember. I but mean, right now he's sitting at good odds still for a majority government, uh, but polls could change. <laughs> this is just fresh. but that's why I'm yeah. just I'm just saying like maybe they knew this was gonna play out and it's a strategic it's a strategic game. You don't know. We're not gonna know, so we're gonna move on a bit. Uh, this episode was actually kind of weak. I was actually anticipating Ezra being super gleeful or happy that this all happened, and. That's not actually, well, I wouldn't say that's not the case. You could definitely hear an excitement in Ezra's voice, but it's, it's, it's how he covered it. That was weird. So he spent a majority of the episode, uh, focusing on the, uh, press scrum that Trudeau gave on the airplane after the news broke. Hello, Kitty. So after the news broke, Trudeau gave an interview to the press and he basically spends the whole episode nitpicking that exchange 
and and critiquing the journalists asking the questions. Mm-hmm. It was the weirdest thing. So it would be like, oh, that's clearly a Lebrano because you could tell by the way they asked that question. Like, oh, well, that was actually a pretty good question. Well, that came in. Uh, oh, but that one, that one was clearly that person really liked Trudeau for asking that question. Anyway, so there there wasn't a lot to to pick up there. This is this is actually we got a ton of clips here because then we start getting into the actual ethics of blackface. It starts off in a good place in that I think some of what Ezra says, some, not all, is legit. But then you'll see why, again, this is easy, but he is a big hypocrite. He's got a problem, a blind spot, don't you think? That blackface hand on breast picture was bad. He also focuses a lot on the fact that the hand was near a woman's breast. Again, he's a groper, so that's his... A huge part of his framing of this. But in some ways, this one, in, I think in some ways this is worse. He's with two men who truly appear to be Sikh, and he's just staring them down. They might be thinking, who's this asshole? But he's... To fill that one in, too, there was a picture that released... Show, so there was the one where he had the hand above the woman's breast. The other is he's got his arms around these two uh, seemingly Sikh gentlemen. Mm-hmm. that's what he's like talking. So there was the two pictures in the yearbook of that event with Trudeau in them. And so a lot of people initially focused on the first one, because I think that was the one highlighted in the times piece. But then since then, uh, this other piece, uh, other picture surfaced from the same event that arguably is a bit weirder, uh, given that the people he's pretending to represent are standing with him to a certain extent, Yeah, to a certain extent, because if he was Aladdin, not really. So even Ezra <laughs> gets, gets the ethnicities wrong here. But anyways, he was still mocking wearing a turban. Contest with him. He's not going to blink. He's not going to confess that what he's doing is mocking them and diminishing them. He's going to go right after the two Sikh guys in the whole place and physically touch them and dominate them and stare them down just like he does to women. He dominates. He'll force them to make a, a scene or comply. That's the choice he gives every woman he gropes in public. Comply. Or you'll be some overreacting hysterical woman, comply, or you'll be some overreacting minority. Interesting that he says that. Yes. Uh, wow, it's like one of the most woke things Ezra's have actually ever said. <laughs> it gets kind of woker. Now, I think wearing blackface means... Does it really mean that someone should resign from public office? Look, I don't make the rules, do I? Trudeau does. The media party does. We have seen many, many resignations for less, even in the past week. I'm not sure how I'd feel if I were black. Blackface isn't just a costume. It has greater political, cultural meaning, mainly in the context of U.S. slavery, but it's pretty universally regarded as racist, more even than wearing a turban when you're not Sikh. Let me let me help you through this. What if it had been Stephen Harper? He kind of navigates that in really interesting ways, taking into consideration how someone who has a different racial background would react to perceiving that and how that would affect your uh, how you feel about it. And also acknowledging that it comes from a history of... Uh... So I just want to point something out. And I think this is going to help with the previous point that I'm trying to make. Go for it. Ezra understands these things very clearly and can articulate it very clearly and eloquently and so now this is what i mean about media and why it doesn't fucking matter like no one's an actual liberal lackey or being controlled because i think he knows that this is fucking wrong i know he thinks a lot of the things that he's saying is fucking wrong but he's actually targeting a niche market that gives him 
a, a good rating. We're going to point out the just base hypocrisy of this very easily in a couple seconds. Yeah. But I don't think the CBC could get away with such flagrant hypocrisy. Well, they have to come out, make apologies, mm -hmm. issue retractions. He doesn't have that standard. Because as you see, like the video I'm going to play to you next is still online. It was released in 2017. And it was on his, uh, on uh, Gavin McGinnis' show. And I'm not going to show you the video, but Gavin is completely blackfaced through the whole video. Yeah, I know exactly what video. And uh, to set it up, Gavin watched a trailer for a movie called uh, Dear, Dear White People. Yep. And I guess at the end of the trailer, just to, the lead into the clip was, I guess, they blow up sound equipment or something like that. Okay. So it goes off in that. But this is what Gavin has to say about blackface. You don't get to do that. You don't get to destroy my $1,500 sound system because you disapprove of a costume, especially when you can't articulate why blackface is offensive. Why is blackface offensive? Can Sarah Silverman do it as a joke? Okay. Why can't Fred Armisen? Why does he have to be Obama who is pale? It's, he looks like Obama with food poisoning. It looks ridiculous. Why, why is that one thing? Out? It's like the Asian voice. You're not allowed to speak Chinese, but you can do every other voice. It's, it's just a random thing they've thrown at the dartboard and said, this is incredibly offensive. And I always say when people bring it up, why? And they go, well, Jim Crow laws were based on minstrel shows. And I go, so look it up. Minstrel shows sometimes portrayed blacks as dumb klutzes. Sometimes. I, my research says 25% of the time. The other 75% of the time, they were just portraying a black person the same way men back before women were allowed to act would just put on wigs and go, hello, I'm a lady. White America revered blacks back then. Yeah, I know. It was a racist time. They were also fascinated by blacks. And they we were at a particularly square time in our history. So we would get on stage and go, I'm a black man. I'm exciting. I'm doing exciting things. It was uh, maybe naive, but it was a form of reverence. I would like to note that even in those time periods, it was not seen as a form of reverence by other black people, which might be an important uh, note to take into consideration. And this, by the way, goes across the entire world. We've been doing blackface for a long time. It means I'm trying to look like a black guy, like Black Pete. Is that entire tradition wrong? Or what about yes. the black and white minstrel show that played in Britain well into the 80s? Is that offensive? Yes. He plays a clip of it, but kind of doesn't make good for the audio podcast because you can't see that. You don't know. All you know is this is the worst thing in the world. And what's depressing about whites is when you shoot these accusations at their feet, they jump and they just go, ah! No one looks at that trailer and goes, wait a minute. I've seen a lot of Halloween pictures, and you seem to have amalgamated the six times that someone's dressed like that in the past 10 years. And crunched it all into a trend and then you're basing a show vilifying this non-existent trend we don't do this yes you may have caught some anecdotal evidence it's not indicative of a pattern you know what a pattern is there's a pattern going on here and it's you being totally incompetent and making up stupid shit you know nothing about so when he's saying you he means black people and when he's saying that they're incompetent, he's trying to say that black people, there's a systemic trend of them being stupid. That's what he just argued. That's fucking horrible. Or, or he's talking about quote unquote woke white people that are yelling at him as well. Uh, 
it, I mean, not to add any defense to anything that uh, Gavin says there, it's all fucking terrible. It, it's just a, like the, the rank hypocrisy there of just Ezra hosted this on his show, gave this guy a platform where he put on blackface and just mocked people who think that minstrel shows are bad, even though, like, I'll be honest, parts of the history are complex and a lot of people have written on it. And I'm sure you can think of certain cases where people, I think Al Jolson is someone who comes up as uh, he was in The Jazz Singer, which was the first uh, the first talking film ever created. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene in there where he wears blackface and sings a song. And it has come out that he has at time defended some of his black colleagues and stuff like this. So for his time period, he did some things that were okay. But that doesn't negate the fact that him wearing blackface in this movie didn't create an otherization with another uh, race of people and didn't make them feel terrible by doing those kind of caricatures. Mm-hmm. So, yes, you could you could have a complex analysis of the history. And personally, I don't think it's my place to do it as a white dude sitting here doing a podcast. So you can go and read the wonderful literature that exists online and, and listen to what other people have to say. But it's the fact that Ezra platformed this, and then today, because it's politically expedient, blackface is now, of, of course it's a terrible thing. Oh, I have, I have more clips of Ezra talking about blackface today, and even more contradictory to what Gavin was saying, so here we go. When you dress in blackface... I titled this clip, by the way, Woke Ezra. That's not just a costume. You're not just pretending to be black. Um, you can wear an Indian headdress and fringed leather garments and pretend to play cowboys and Indians. That's not inherently offensive. So it kind of goes off the point there. And I actually think that that is offensive. And a lot of uh, indigenous people have spoken yeah. out about how offensive that can be. And I think he's starting to realize this as he's saying it, and he quickly shifts into something that's a little bit more politically correct. So here it goes. Dressing up as an Aboriginal Indian, dressing up in a traditional Jewish outfit. If I, I'm Jewish, if I someone saw someone dressing up as an Orthodox Good Jew, save, I wouldn't find that inherently offensive, and I, and I certainly wouldn't complain about cultural appropriation. But there is something specific to wearing black face. And it is tied to the place of blacks in America, their place under slavery, and then the Jim Crow laws thereafter. But this, okay, so this is my point though, is he's quite (laughs) aware of the fucking issues. Like, it's not like he's blinded or ignorant or wants to even debunk. He's not even trying to debunk it. He's not even trying to, like, he's like saying like, this is bad because of the systemic racism these groups of people face so this is what i'm trying to say is like certain people find a niche they know that it's going to work well to get them popular for example tommy laurent right before she went on fox news used to have youtube videos of her saying like very left-leaning things and then she got hired by fox news and she went completely the opposite on a lot of her points that she would say on this i think someone was telling me like a youtube channel that she had so People get paid. They go money, in. Money, money, money. Yeah, exactly. Money. <laughs> and for him, and then he's going, the whole niche is like, oh, it's the liberals versus conservatives and Trudeau's evil. And none of that actually really exists. It's about what's going to get people more money at the end of the day. 
for uh, politics, it's just about, it's a game. It's not even taken fucking serious half the time the issues by these politicians. You don't even know how relevant you're being. And I'll continue. Yeah. <laughs> we'll finish this clip. Okay. And then uh, we'll get right into it. And the subis- submissive subordinate position of blacks in the minstrel shows. When a white man blackens his face, it is part of the submission of black people. Now, we Canadians don't know that much about that. But Justin Trudeau would have known, if not when he was in high school, surely by the time he was a 29-year-old teacher. Absolutely. I mean, I listened to this first, went back and found the Gavin piece. And then when I went back to this clip as I was like writing out uh, the episode, I was just like, holy shit, he hit every single point that Gavin made in that video and like came out on the right side. Only now that uh, it's Trudeau, it's doing, Trudeau it. doing it. Yeah. And like Gavin doing it on his. And here's the thing is, he's not distanced himself from Gavin. He had Gavin on his show two weeks yeah. ago. We covered it. Go check out Proud of Your Boy. Yeah. It's it's. I mean, like, I want, I'm reacting like this is unbelievable, but it's it's so predictable, it's stupid. He then ends the episode where he gets on uh, Lauren Gunther, who, I don't know, he's, whenever he needs a boomer, he calls up Lauren Gunther to talk about pool boy and Trudeau. Mm-hmm. And they're having a chit-chat, and then Ezra brings up uh, Harry Frankfurt's On Bullshit. So he's a philosopher. Uh, I've appreciated his writings. I have a few of his books. He wrote this book in 1986, but it regained popularity during the Bush administration for obvious reasons mm-hmm. and has since seen another resurgence. Uh, I don't know what the... it's about, so you need to explain <laughs> On bullshit. It's... <laughs> that doesn't... it's a philosophical sort of like, or, or look at how people, uh, or, or what, what is bullshit, right? So it's philosophy. So it's about terminology and defining our terms and like categories right so he wants to distinguish bullshit from other types of like false talk right so he claims that bullshits are bullshitters are actually worse for the truth than liars because liars actually have a respect for the truth if you're knowingly misleading someone by telling a lie you're doing it because you know that the truth is important for some reason or it's important to you that someone doesn't know the truth that you have right The, Mm -hmm. the reason why you're doing it Bullshitters to to Harry in his uh, book don't care at all about anything, right? Their motive isn't the truth. Their motive is, in this case, to make money. Could be in other cases uh, just because you like the sound of your own voice and so you'll just keep talking and you want to be right. Whatever, right. And so... Like people to win an argument, they... Which, so the, the, the irony of the clip I'm about to play you is that's sort of Frankfurt's position on bullshit. And Ezra's praising him when it's like his thesis friggin like applies to you so perfectly if you don't know it. Go a little bit more highbrow. There's a very short book and I bought bought a dozen copies of it. I hand it out to people. I'm going to swear here. The book is called On Bullshit. I love that also that he had to warn his audience, be careful, I am about to swear. And it's it's a scientific scholarly. And that what does it mean? And he goes through the different kinds of bullshit. Uh, And it's basically faking your way through things. And one of the kinds of bullshit can actually be true. You just don't even know it. You're just blustering. You're brazening it. It's confidence with nothing underneath. It's the grift. It's the huckster. It's someone who ain't got nothing, but, you know, fake it till you make it. And it's, 
I think there's a combination of American Psycho and this very, it's a tiny little book on bullshit. I really recommend it. And Trudeau is a little bit like that. He, there's nothing, there's no there there. He's no. a little bit sociopathic and whatever his flaws are, he'll immediately project on no. you. I no. think he's a pickup artist at heart. Well, I don't think he's wrong, but notice like he's like, he'll project it on you. I mean, this whole segment is projection. Yeah. And like you yeah. say, he's yeah, yeah. always been I, I, immune. I thought about that, but I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. And he's always been immune uh, yeah. to consequences. Yeah. It's also amazing because he points out the grift and he talks about the grift. And as you said, this is clearly a money-making thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is how Ezra ends the show. I want to tell you that just today, we started a petition called TrudeauMustResign.com. What do you think? Look, I, I'm not one for deplatforming, and I honestly don't think that right now the three cases of blackface should cause a man to quit as prime minister. I think a more honorable man would quit, but I, I don't know if that's enough to detonate the leader of a G7 country. But listen, if there's 20 more of these, I, I think he's just untenable. He's wrecked things too much. He's too much of a liar. And how do you do any foreign affairs with that? But I think it's the lying and the falsity of his entire ideology. He's a fake feminist. He's fakely into diversity. That's why I would sign a petition called Trudeau must resign, not because I'm becoming a politically correct snowflake myself. He's pitching this petition, and this is likely going to be news to you. It might not be news for some of the people who have a, a sort of vague awareness of Rebel, but that clip jogged something in my memory, which was this incident with somebody named Kaolin Robertson. Kaolin was a, worked for Rebel in the UK, and I'm not sure if he was like an actual personality on the show or just someone like who worked on like editing or whatnot, but he came out uh, in 2018, I believe, or it was 2017, basically claiming that Ezra was trying to blackmail him and he produced a video. And within that video, he talked about where Rebel gets their money because he said they didn't fire. So... If you know Lauren Southern, mm -hmm. she had recently been fired before Kaolin released his like clip. And he claims that she was fired because she refused to ask for more money for uh, a project in which they already achieved their money. Okay. And Ezra was pushing her to continue to ask for donations. And so she refused and they fired her. That's the claim. Uh, he says that Lauren can't... Uh, back this up because she filed like a non-disclosure agreement type okay. of thing. And you also have to keep in mind here that Kaolin is a far-right person who worked for Ezra. So mm -hmm. it's like, how much weight do you want to give him coming out with these stories, right? Yeah. But he did have audio recordings that he recorded of Ezra that were trying to blackmail him. And it's clear that he's like, Ezra's talking about hush money and I'm going to pay you this money and you're going to not talk and stuff like this. So that happens. And then Kaolin describes the other things uh, that Ezra does to get money. Because he says, we don't need money. We don't need money from you because we have all these donors that pay us. Like He doesn't say it, but the Cokes, the Shillmans, all yeah. these people giving them money. But then he's like, this is how uh, Ezra makes his money. And this brings me to my main yeah. point. 
<laughs> so what the rebel does with your money. The rebel presents itself as a crowdfunding source of real news, conservative commentary, and the other side of the story. But the more I learned, the harder it is to believe that rebel is actually nothing more than making money. The rebel makes enough from its shows to cover its costs. And apparently it even makes more from backers on top of that. So what on earth does it need with your money? The thing is, when you donate to a rebel campaign, you're actually giving money to a business, not a charity. While the rebel does spend a huge amount on lawyers, billboards, and URLs, this is nothing compared to what is actually coming in. These are simply tools to boost donations. See, emails are key for them. At the rebel, you're put under immense pressure to create petitions and to turn stories into campaigns. Over and over, Ezra would drill into us the importance of collecting email addresses. To sign our petition. And chip in 10, 20, 50 bucks to sign our petition. I've set up a petition. Sign our petition. You go to firebomb.ca. <laughs> sign our petition. To sign the petition. Sign our petition now. And sign your name right now. We've started a petition. I've set up a petition. Sign our petition. Please sign our petition. We're launching a petition. Sign the petition. I want you to go to refugeepods.ca <laughs> right now and sign our petition. I say we start a petition. And sign my petition. You to sign our petition. Will you sign my petition? Sign our petition. Sign our petition. And we're asking you to sign it. You to sign that petition. It's more than 10,000 Albertans have signed our petition already. We're well on our way to our goal of 100,000. Sign our petition. And sign our petition. And sign our petition. They can't stop us. Even once boasting over dinner how easy it was to use a website called Nation Builder to send 100,000 people an email asking for money without the media or the public knowing anything about it. So, this episode ends with a petition. Should, what was it? Uh, TrudeauResign.com? Yeah. And this is the first time I've heard a petition on the show, but it's only been a month since we've been doing this. Yeah, I have been too. And I'm curious to see if this is going to be like once a month, there's going to be a new petition and he's going to try to get people in there to get those emails. Uh, and if anything, this is a perfect opportunity for him to put that petition out there because there's going to be a lot of traffic drawn to his site because of the scandal. Yeah. Uh, he's going to keep promoting it. He's going to highlight it. And he's going to try to make money off of it, which is like, you know, it shouldn't be that, uh, what's it say, like, uh, out there? <laughs> no, I like, it just it. seems a little too obvious to me. Yeah. But, uh, but there it is. His hypocrisy is just to make some money. You were right. I and told you. <laughs> you can uh, support us on Patreon. And sign our petition. You, you can sign our petition at patreon.com slash imperial news. If you want to stay informed about what we are doing, you can also find us on Twitter at Imperial News with a Z. We have a private Facebook group called Imperial News, which will be better at posting content if you actually go to it and want that. You know, some people like Facebook, other people don't. And we also have a Discord set up, and you can find the link on our Twitter, and I will eventually start streaming research shows on Twitch when I have more free time. Jody is also looking for jobs, so if you want to donate your jobs... <laughs> you can contact me at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com with your uh, jobs or uh, your email questions, if you have any questions. And that's uh, all I got. Don't sign petitions. <laughs> well, at least not Ezra's. Homeless people in L.A. have smartphones.